You are listening to The Mother Good Podcast, episode number 72. I'm your host, Emily Carney. We at Mother Good believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Our content is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. As many of you know, in addition to being a mom, which is my favorite job in the world, and also hosting this podcast, I'm an attorney, and I own my own law firm, The Carney Firm. I specialize in being general outside counsel for small businesses and also intellectual property matters such as registering a trademark and counseling and other intellectual property matters. I love helping small businesses, and I'm also a business consultant for them as well. So if you're a mama and you own your own business, I would be so honored if you would consider reaching out to me for a free consultation. You could reach me at emily at thecarneyfirm.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at attorney Emily. I'm also a mom-friendly lawyer. Some of my clients are mothers. I'm a mother. And so if you have a loud child in the background on a phone call with me, it does not matter to me whatsoever. As long as you're okay with it, I'm okay with it. And for a disclaimer, by law, I'm required to say that this is attorney advertising and also is not legal advice. Dr. Ahmed, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, as I mentioned before hitting record that I'm really, I've been really looking forward to this episode, just given, you know, my personal history with my pelvic floor issues. And just in general, I'm super passionate about women and maintaining good pelvic floor health. So before we dig uh, deep into our topic today, I'd love for everyone to just to get to know you a little bit more, introduce yourself, give a little bit of background about, about your career, and then also um, anything that's relevant, both personally and professionally. Sure. So I am a pelvic pain physiatrist. Most people don't know what a physiatrist does. Um, I am a physician. I went to medical school and I'm an osteopathic physician, but I went into physiatry, which is the field of rehabilitation. So um, classically, rehabilitation is more about musculoskeletal rehab. If you've had a knee replacement or you've had um, a stroke, you, you get rehabilitation. And so the field of pelvic rehabilitation is relatively new. I've been doing this for um, over five years now. And what's interesting about it is that people never really got rehab postpartum. Um, and, you, you know, if you were in Europe, you would, because it's actually required in some places where you have a, a visit with a, a, a physical pelvic physical therapist right after you give birth. Um, but here we don't have that luxury. Um, so I see women and men in this field because the men also need help, not necessarily postpartum, but post prostatectomy surgery or post a fall or post a labral tear and post, you know, injury after intercourse as well. Um, this feels super, super, uh, overwhelmingly, um, appreciated because people don't know this field exists. And so when people are desperate for help and answers, they're just so grateful to find um, a doctor that treats this. And I work with really amazing pelvic physical therapists who help me um, help them get better. That sounds great. And I didn't really realize the aspect of men either. It's so interesting because I always wondered, because I know that men have a pelvic floor too. So I just find it a little bit interesting that we don't, we already don't talk about pelvic floor health when it comes to women. And then the fact that it might be even more stigmatized towards men, because that's something that you don't really think about that they have as well. So I I just put a footnote to kind of come back to that because I, I find that pretty fascinating. So in your practice, who do you primarily see? So you said you see some men too, but are most of the women who are coming to you, are they mostly postpartum or maybe just give a little bit of background on like who, who do you usually see and what issues are you helping them with? A lot of people assume all I do is postpartum because um, when you think of pelvic health, you hear and and a lot of patients think just Kegels, um, but there's so much more to pelvic health than just Kegels. Um, Kegels are right for the right person, but they can be very wrong for some people. Um, So 
Uh, I see all types of people. So what I tell patients is that there's this huge umbrella. And on one side of the umbrella are the patients who have loosey-goosey pelvic floors. And those pelvic floors are weak. And a lot of people assume that's all the postpartum women, that you're automatically going to have this really weak pelvic floor and you're going to be peeing on yourself. And it's just all about wearing pads and panty liners and you're just going to be sneezing and coughing when you work out and that's it you're doomed and so everyone's like do kegels as soon as you have a baby or while you're pregnant get do start doing kegels because that's all you have um but that's not it there's this other side of the umbrella that's the women who are super super tight and you know Birth is traumatic, um, and pregnancy is such a long 40-week period of so much going on. Your pelvis is shifting from all the hormonal changes, the relaxin hormone, and a lot of people who are tight actually feel better when they have that, those hormonal shifts mm. because when they're classically tight and clenching their pelvic floors, they're now relaxed. But sometimes when people have this classic tight clenching, super anxious personality, and they're clenching and they're stressed out during the pregnancy, they actually feel pretty, you know, pretty bad too, because the anxiety makes them clench even more. Mm. I mean, motherhood and pregnancy is not necessarily like, you know, a chill time, you're really stressed <laughs> out, you're right. really worried. There is a lot of new emotions you're you may be crying you may be stressed out you might have other children that you're you know already taking care of and you feel so, super overwhelmed and so a lot of these women who have issues and then then there's the women who have pubic symphysis dysfunction so their mm -hmm. pubic symphysis which is another bony articulation in the pelvis that can separate and yep, and get I wider flash have that so i'm very familiar <laughs> with that <laughs> So that can cause a lot of pain and trouble walking, trouble sitting. Um, and then there's also the sacroiliac joint, which there's two, one on the right and one on the left. And that's in the back of the pelvis. And that also can make you feel like your hips broken. I remember when I was pregnant and there was like three weeks where I was like, I think my hips broken. And I kept saying my hips broken and I didn't know what was going on. And I wasn't a pelvic doctor at the time I was so young and I was like I think my hip's broken and, and everyone's <laughs> like no it's your SI joint but it feels like you're just falling apart and you mm -hmm. can barely walk and everything and so there's belts you can wear and there's things that can be done to help stabilize your pelvis um, and so these patients can actually deliver a child and, and then and then add on a delivery right it could be like a really long prolonged labor um, the baby might need to be vacuumed out or suctioned out, uh, forceps. There could be all sorts of different things going on. Um, and even if you have, don't have a vaginal delivery, you're, you could still have pelvic floor dysfunction with a C-section, mm -hmm. which a lot of people also don't know and a huge myth that you don't have pelvic floor dysfunction with a C-section. But if you have a child sitting on your pelvic floor for you know, 40 weeks or the majority of like 20 something weeks where the baby is getting bigger and bigger, that pelvic floor is getting a lot of work to do. And so mm -hmm. your muscles are getting short and they're getting tightened. They can be, and they're getting weak. And so in both of these scenarios, both sides of the umbrella, your pelvic floor is weak. One mm -hmm. is weak and loosey goosey, which I like to call my ladies in Depends diapers. <laughs> and then one's loose tight but also weak. And that's the person who can't do an expansion or a contraction. They're just too weak to do it because their muscle cannot, cannot fully relax. And so both scenarios, they are weak and they can have urinary leakage. And so postpartum, if you just assume you're, hey, I'm that lady that's leaking and you start doing Kegels without an examination, you can actually be making yourself tighter by making a tight muscle tight. And so that's why pain with sex, you just can't assume that you are one woman or the other. And most people don't even know these two options exist. Mm. I'm so glad that you went through all of this because you, without knowing it, you have literally just recited my medical history when it comes to all of my issues that I've had. I do, I do ultimately want to focus on the, the pain with sex, um, since I know that, uh, you know, I personally know 
lots of women who have it, especially in the postpartum period. So I do want to get back to this. But um, I just also want to go kind of line by line uh, with some of the topics that you just mentioned. So starting with the the tight versus loose pelvic floor, this is really key. And also, I didn't realize that both are weak. So basically, mm-hmm. you're saying that if you have a tight pelvic floor, which that's me, uh, versus a loose pelvic floor, both in both scenarios, you have a weak pelvic floor. That's fascinating. I, I had no idea. So I guess um, I, we've done an episode actually in the past that, you know, don't basically don't do your Kegels, which is very provocative since basically 90% of the messaging out there is, or probably 99%, honestly, of the messaging out there is to do your Kegels. Um, but what is an alternative to Kegels if you are tight, right? Or what, what if you don't even know if you're tight or not? I guess like what are the first steps that women should do to determine if they're tight and loose? And then what are alternatives to Kegels if they want to strengthen their pelvic floor? So for the loosey-goosey, they can go straight to strengthening, but they may not know that they're actually tight. And mm. what's interesting is I'll get patients who are postpartum come to me because their GYN says, hey, you know, why don't you go check out this place and do rehab? And what I do is I examine them. I check out their hips. I check out their SI. I check out their pubic symphysis. We talk about how their recovery was, how their labor was, how long prolonged it was. And then I examine their insides. So I do a, a vaginal exam. Um, most of the time, I'll be very honest, my GYN friends don't do much. I remember my six-week follow-up. Oh, yeah. They GY- don't do anything. <laughs> my GYN nicer. She's like, how's the baby? I was like, the baby's fine. Are you going like, to do this exam? I was like, right. because I'm, I'm like a rehab doctor. So I know you need to do something. Um, <laughs> right. And she was like, you look good. You know, I had a small perineal tear. <laughs> My tear was healed. Um, she's like, are you nursing? And I was like, yeah, I tried. Didn't really work. And you know, she's like, okay, bye. I'll see you in a yep. baby. And that was it. And so, you know, most of the right. time they're not checking much. They've done their right. job their baby is healthy, their baby is born, there is, you know, it's a huge, maternal health is huge, I'm alive, the baby's alive, everything's alive, your pelvic floor, not really my problem. (laughs) Right, yeah, it almost seems like the six-week checkup, honestly, is just a box to check, right, for, like, insurance, and, like, yep, standard (laughs) of care, box check, you know, but, again, like, I, I, my first postpartum checkup was the exact same way, And the PA that I saw cleared me for sex and exercise. And I told her and, and to go back to work. And I said, no, you cannot clear me because I don't feel ready. Cause I I had severe SPD. I had sacroiliac dysfunction and I didn't even know, cause I'm not a doctor. I'm a lawyer. So I don't know how to describe these things. I was just saying, I am in pain somewhere down there and I can't describe it. And I couldn't walk more than a mile without limping. And I said, I, you know, I'm not ready. I don't know what the medical terminology is, but don't certify me. And since I live in the state of California, if I'm certified to go back to work after six weeks by the doctor, I don't get disability anymore. And I just have to go back to work. So I literally told her, no, you cannot do this. So that's what I tell all of my friends is like, if you don't feel ready to go back to work, especially in California with a disability, I'm like, Tell them, no, do not certify you. Like, just say, no, I can't, like, I don't feel ready and tell them why and just try to get something. But anyway, I guess that's a long story short. Interesting. I feel the same way. Because I, I remember being like, okay, well, I'm not having sex. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, um, maybe in three months. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was like, nope, don't feel super sexy right now. Yeah, um, exactly. But, you know, I was like, okay. And then I had another kid and then I had, I ran a marathon and I was paying myself and I was like, well, this was like five years later. And I remember thinking, I'm a physiatrist who does this. I need to go get pelvic PT. I actually (laughs) got pelvic PT and I, cause I was leaking and I realized, okay, so there is that spectrum. So I was on that side. Okay. Um, But I've been on the other side too. And I've been like, Ooh, it's not good to be on the side. So this side is tight. tight. So you've been on the too tight and too loose side. Yeah. Cause 
work is stressful, life is stressful, right. two kids is, you know, having one back to back and then another kid is too stressful. Oh, so for things sure, get, yeah. when, when anxiety, constipation, I have chronic mm. constipation, like all that stuff weighs in and your puzzles, muscles get really tight. Yes. So when you're, you know, when those muscles are tight, you have to relax them. Step one, relax them. Okay. Step step two, strengthen. So you can't start doing an exercise mm. to re- to strengthen until you are relaxed. Now, mm. here's the little caveat: if you want to get your body back, which is like the other message that you know everyone's saying, let's snap back, let's get our yep. bodies back. Yep. You probably are starting to do some core exercises. Mm. which is probably going to tighten your pelvic floor mm-hmm. because you're either getting back into your bar class, which is all about tucking your pelvic floor in. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're trying to look skinny because you, your body image is not cute. You <laughs> want to go back to your body and you're squeezing your core, which is squeezing your pelvic floor. And all of that together is actually pretty detrimental to your pelvic floor. So if mm-hmm. you're having pain postpartum, don't, do any core like you don't want to do those extra you want to do like restorative yoga you want to do stuff that's going to help relax your pelvic floor like bridges and child pose and different yoga positions and go swimming if you need to do something like cardio Mm -hmm. Um, but pounding your pelvic floor is not going to help now a lot Mm. of people want to do things for endorphins and i'm totally all about feed your endorphins like whatever it is that makes you feel better but if it's making you worse don't do it. Yes. Don't do it. Yes. No, I, I completely agree with that. Do that. So when you're talking about the relaxation exercises, just to be clear. So there's, um, what are some of the ones that you mentioned? Um, like the child's pose, is that kind of like the happy baby pose or? Yeah. The, the ha- uh, well, happy baby or child's pose, a lot of diaphragmatic breathing. So that okay. breathe in through your nose, push your belly out, out through your mouth, bring your tummy in. You know, that drops your pelvic floor, which is really helpful when you're super stressed out or you want to scream at your your toddler and you're just like, oh, my God, stop talking. Yeah. Um, breathe in, <laughs> breathe out. I have a talking to- like a toddler that won't stop talking to. So. Yeah. So you want everyone to just kind of relax. You want to take some deep breaths. Yeah. Um, you know, if you know, like, ooh, this is hurting or I'm on the toilet. And I don't have time. Like, you know, guys are on the toilet for an hour, but you're on the toilet for five minutes. So you start pushing and now it's like not coming out and you're like pushing and now you've developed a hemorrhoid and your pelvic floor is getting tighter. All this stuff makes your pelvic floor more tight and that will actually make it a bigger problem because now that tight pelvic floor is getting even tighter. So we, we want to really counteract that tightness. Right. Um, Okay. Now we're like, I put a tampon in, Oh, I got my period and I put a tampon in and it hurts. Well, then that's a sign that is not a good sign. That's a good sign. That, that, that tells you something. They're like red flags. Like if you're like, oh, I'm chronically yes. constipated and I'm having like urinary frequency and urgency, um, it's hard to say because you're you're just coming off of this pregnancy where you've been peeing like all the time because of the baby, but now no one's sitting on your bladder, but you're still peeing all the time. Some of the times... <laughs> yeah. Sounds Some of the right. times, you know, it's like, okay, right, what are you doing? Are you drinking? Like, are you drinking like a whole, <laughs> you know, eight ounces at a time? Because that's not necessarily going to help. If you're going to drink like two to three ounces every hour and space mm. it out, your bladder will fill more slowly as opposed oh, to like drinking eight ounces at a time. Because a lot of people see their water bottles and like, oh my God, I need to catch up. Let me just drink all of it right now. Well, then your bladder is like filling up quicker. Mm. Um, when your bladder fills up halfway, it tells your brain you have to go pee. And so you can't just, oh, you know, interesting. you really, you want to train your bladder to get bigger so that it can mm. hold more. Oh. So you're not having that frequency and urgency. And so there are little okay. things that like, you know, after nine months of doing one thing one way, you kind of have to now train yourself to do another way. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad that you talked about that because I feel like I'm personally still struggling with that. Even though my baby is one, I'm like, what happened? Like, I feel like I'm still pregnant when like the, the urinating department at least. So, um, so what about, what do you think about those apps? Because so many moms that I talk to, whenever I tell them go to PT, because I'm a firm believer that every single woman postpartum has to go to pelvic floor physical therapy and again, I don't know, I, I don't understand the hesitation. Like maybe you can elaborate on that. I guess like fear and embarrassment for a lot of women. I but it's I, time. 
time. time. Yeah, maybe it's time. Time and money. Yeah. So uh, there's just this big hesitation to go to public floor PT from most women that I know. But I know a lot of them are, love these apps. So they're like, oh, well, I just downloaded this app and I'm doing this app. What do you think about the apps? Because I'm, I'm going to preface this what I'm afraid of in these apps is I know a lot of them do like the core stuff that you're talking about. I'm like, well, you don't really know if you're too tight or too loose. And then like, maybe you're going to make something worse because I, that's what happened to me. I tried an app and I was doing these exercises from the app. And when I showed my physical therapist, she said, oh, well, you're actually making your DR worse. Your, your diastasis recti because I was doing these core exercises and I was ballooning out my abdomen and I had no idea that I was ballooning out my abdomen or I didn't even know that I was supposed to, something that I was supposed to be looking for. And here I am doing all these home exercises on this silly app. And I had no idea. I'm like, well, great. I was just basically making everything no. work. So anyway, yeah. that's my bias on the apps. But I'd love to hear like, what do you think of the I apps? agree. Is a good way? I think, I think Is there a good the way apps, to use them or no? Like, no? I think if you've gotten examined, okay, been examined properly, like, like I, I tell people, listen, you know, going to public PT is an investment in your health going yes. once at least to properly get examined. Cause if your right. GYN does not know how to examine the pelvic floor, I've had GYN as patients tell me that mm. they do not learn this in med- residency. They, they do not don't. learn how to do this. So yep. pelvic I have friends in med school and who are doctors and they say they have no idea about any of this either. No. So. so, you know, a lot of urologists don't gynecologists don't it's, you know, you focus on what you learn, right? I tell everyone you are the smartest, usually the day you graduate med school. And then after that, you become really dumb in everything else, except oh, the no. one thing you learn and the Girl, one thing you true. hone yeah. in on. That's true. So, yeah. You know, you're, I'm not, I don't remember any surgery. I don't remember any you know, hematology. <laughs> right. I have to look things up all the time because I'm like, right. oh, what was that thing about that thing? And, right. um, but yeah. you know, it is what it is. It's like, you know, that's how it is. If a math teacher in school versus a science teacher, they probably don't yeah. remember any of I mean, that's the same with lawyers too. Like when I took the bar the day after the bar, I was like, wow, ask me anything. But now if it's not, mm-hmm. if it's outside of my expertise, I'm like, mm, I got to refresh. What was that again about? I don't know. Common law property. got to go look that up. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it's it's not to offend anyone. It is what it is. That's just right. I mean, we can't possibly know everything. Right. Um, so right. the apps are interesting because they're made by usually pelvic health experts. Um, if they don't have a physician on board on their medical team who is someone who's like a pelvic physical therapist or someone who advocates, you know, strongly for pelvic health in like GYN or OB, I mean it's so hard to say who does and who doesn't. And some of these apps are just created and they say, I need a medical director and they just put on someone and then Mm. you don't really know. So I've been asked by like flow and different apps to like, you know, write articles for different places, but you know, I don't know who's writing everything for what. So I Mm -hmm. trust pelvic therapists, majority of them. And in New York, New York city where I am, we vet all of our pelvic therapists. If a Mm -hmm. pelvic patient is not getting what they need, I will step in and be like, I think you need to go to a different therapist or oh, good. Okay. try this or try that. Um, I know in the Midwest and different states throughout the US, it's not like that. So if you have pain and someone's saying to do Kegels, red flag, run out the door. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And so if you, your app is making you feel worse, stop the app. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, you should only be feeling better Mm -hmm. after every therapy session I went to, I felt great. I loved going to therapy because I was like, Oh my God, this feels amazing. It's so bizarre. Someone's like massaging my insides, but I love it. So, you know, no, I was the same way. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, I think like the apps have their utility, um, but you really, really have to know if that you're the right candidate for it. And mm-hmm. obviously, you know, you have to know, you know, sometimes I say you get what you pay for. So if you're mm-hmm. paying like very minimal or you're not even, you know, getting any results, well, kind of what it is. You know, I personally mm-hmm. think one session of pelvic physical therapy with someone who has a good reputation for a proper examination and then they tell you what and then you decide because you don't, you can, 
there are wands you can use that you can do mm-hmm. your PT at home. There's all sorts of tools that mm. you don't necessarily have to be in physical therapy in person, one-on-one for the rest of your life. Like, and also right. a PT should not be holding on to you for three, four years. You should be yeah. making progress within a few months mm-hmm. and something super noticeable. Um, right. If you're not, that person's probably not for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you know, I like too that you talked about changing therapists because that's something that I did too. Like I lucked out actually and I went to like a really great therapist initially because I had symphysis, pubis dysfunction, and then also the sacroiliac joint dysfunction. Um, but the therapist I initially went to, she focused on not only on pelvic floor, but also, also musculoskeletal. So like core, like basically whole body type thing. And that's what I personally needed. Um, but then the, the one I was going to, she was located so far away. So I tried a couple that were closer to, and it was just not what I really needed. They were only really focused internally. And I really needed like a whole bot, like more than just like internal work. And so, yeah, I mean, basically I didn't really click with or connect with the other ones and they weren't helping at all. So I realized, okay, well, I guess I just have to make the long okay. drive and yeah. go to this one who was like really working. And I mean, it, it was like a big investment of time, but honestly, the three to four months that I went, I like, I recovered so much more than I would have probably just dragged it out. Right. And gone like years and years and having the same issue over and over again. So I just basically got it over with by, by going consistently. So I, I'm, I completely relate. Like if someone, a therapist isn't really helping, just switch your therapist or maybe they're just not right for you or whatnot. So you were mentioning the signs of pelvic floor dysfunction. I'd love to just run down those because I know a big one is uh, pain with sex and it's really embarrassing. I'm sure you know for a lot of women to actually admit that because we still have the stigma around talking about sex. Like people just don't really like talking about it, even though, I mean, we all know that like, that's how you have a kid. Like you're definitely hundred percent having sex. You have children, like it's happening. Um, but I've just noticed that, I mean, even a- among my close friends, whenever they have told me something in confidence, like, Oh yeah, I've had pain with sex. It's just like a hush hush. And like, they're so embarrassed to say it. And, and the fact that it's so hard for them to even tell like a close friend that they're having pain with sex like, well, how are you going to say this to like a doctor, right? Who don't know. And how are you going to get the help and then tell them if it's improving those sorts of things. So I'd I'd love to just one, run down the symptoms and then also maybe talk about the stigma and how, you know, maybe you helped your patients kind of overcome that. Yeah. So the symptoms of, I mean, of knowing that you have like a tight pelvic floor, um, typically, so the pelvic floor goes between your pubic bone and your tailbone. It's like a little hammock and it holds up your bladder and the uterus and your descending colon. And all these three have holes that go through. And so I, you know, I love telling my younger patients, I'm like, you have three holes. I know you don't know about them. Um, And they learn and they're like, oh, okay. Um, And then they're like, so when you have muscles that are really tight, it's like imagining trying to squeeze that hose through there. And little squirts of urine come out and it holds on to it and it, it spasms. And so then you think, oh, I'm done peeing. And then you go leave the bathroom. And then 20 minutes later, it's still got to go. My, ba- my bladder is still full because your kidneys are still working. It's still filling in your bladder. And oops, I didn't go. I didn't empty. So I always tell patients, get up, go to the bathroom, pee, stand up, sit back down, make sure you're fully empty, do a little jiggle, get all the urine out. And then leave. And then don't go back on the first urge, the second urge, or the third urge, because you want to wait until you really need to go so your bladder fills up more, so you have a proper empty when you do. Okay. Try to pee six to eight times a day, nothing too much, nothing too less. You know, you don't want to be peeing like twice a day or, but you know, it depends. (laughs) If you're only drinking water, like a cup a day, you're not going to be peeing a lot. Right. Um, Another symptom is chronic constipation. So if you're having trouble having the poop come out, it could be a couple things. It could be your stool consistency. So that's a lot of what you're eating. So if you're eating not so great stuff because you're a mom and you're like, I don't have time for this. I'm going to eat some chips and I'm going to eat some stuff. Magnesium. It's a really great vitamin. It's super underutilized. It's great for your bowels. It's great for muscle relaxation. It's good for headaches. It's good for your bones. It's just super um, underutilized. And I really like enjoy magnesium. I think if I see some pellets in the toilet, I'm like, oop, today I got to take magnesium for tomorrow mm-hmm. because okay. I don't want. And when you're 
nursing and you don't have time, you might be dehydrated, you're more likely not to get a lot of fiber in and not and remember that first poop postpartum. Take oh, your yeah. magnesium to the <laughs> yes. hospital. Yes. <laughs> Take your magnesium because you want the poop to come out nice and easily. Yeah. It um, works so much better than the stool softeners. I'm surprised they don't give those. I, I don't get it. That's the thing. I mean, I remember I had got, I had the prune juice and I had the prunes and I was yeah. like, I any of it. I was like, I should have just taken a magnesium. Yeah, um, for sure. I remember I went on my 10 year anniversary. I went to away and I, I ate like whatever I wanted. I was like, I'm going to work out. I'm going to go on this trip, I'm gonna eat whatever I want. <laughs> and I came back super constipated oh, and no. I forgot my magnesium oh, and I had a penal fissure. Oh, and after no, that, no. I'm like, no, magnesium's yes. coming everywhere with me. <laughs> yes, um, especially so traveling. Magne- <laughs> yeah, so magnesium is really good. It's good. And so if you're feeling constipated and you're having to push and strain, remember, if, even if you go every day, that doesn't mean you're not constipated. If your stools oh. are pellets, that's okay. a sign of constipation. You want nice, long, long logs that are formed, that aren't like clumpy. Um, yeah. And you don't want to go the other way where you're having like mushy diarrhea. And that might yeah. be too much magnesium. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know what you're doing. So what I tell patients is look at your toilet yeah. and go based on that. Okay. Um, but, you know, I'm not going home with you to look at your toilet to see how much poops and like what your poops <laughs> look like. So just, you know, gauge and then work on the magnesium so you find a nice balance. And there's also calm powders, which you can add to your teas. And, oh, you yeah. Know, your- I, yeah, I have some of those that I take sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, you can add the raspberry flavor to your water. You can add like the unflavored one to your tea or coffee. Yeah. Um, but really, you shouldn't be reliant on, you know, like carrots are great and figs are great. And you can make an applesauce like smoothie and all that to like get the fiber in and get the water in. Um, but really, if you're feeling like super chronically constipated, urinary frequency and then pain with sex are huge. Like all of these are like real red flags that your pelvic floor okay. could have a problem with it. I mean, okay. it's very basic. Um, but I could talk for forever about symptoms, but these are like the main ones. If you're having pain, like poop, yeah, n- none of that stuff is like, uh, you know, and if you're feeling like you don't fully empty your bowels and you're like, oh, I went, but I still have some in me, all of that stuff is all related. Mm, now in terms okay. of stigma, uh, stigma, the stigma is like so tough because, you know, I get, pay- I get men and women. And so they're all super yeah. embarrassed. They don't want to men. The men don't want to talk about erections and ejaculation. And the women are like, I mean, it doesn't hurt that badly. It only hurts like a little bit, you know, but we, yeah. we have to like stop sometimes. And it hurts because it, he can't, I'm like, did you orgasm? Did he orgasm? Did he ejaculate? Like, you know, did you have fun during this experience? Or did you leave crying? Um, and yeah. a lot of them are like, no, I had to stop. It was too painful. Or I stopped having intercourse or I avoid intercourse. Now, mm-hmm. these are all signs that there is something not normal or, mm-hmm. you know, there's something up. And so with, you know, postpartum, there's, there's huge reasons, right? You could have the perineal tear is the perineal tear fully, fully healed. I've had multiple patients who've had the tear and, you know, usually the patient who, who's had like a tear issue, they're they're like I'm in pain all day mm. every day and it's not just with sex oh, so wow. okay. these are the patients who really usually don't have an issue with stigma because they're like I can't sit it hurts mm. to sit yeah um, and you know so I've had a few patients have to be re-sewn up like months later because wow. it, it's yeah because it's super I mean it's debilitating they can't function I mean, that's, and that's like something that's like, okay, it's not just sex. It's like life all the time. And, you know, you really feel for these people because you're like, you did not, you got the, not get the experience a lot of people got get. And, and not to say that everyone has like a a hunky dory. Everyone's experience for a childbirth is very, very different, but to get that um, is pretty um, awful. So um, then there's the hormones right? You're nursing. So you're having huge right. shifts in your hormones. And so for some people, um, they're nursing or they're not nursing or their relaxing hormone is changing their estrogen dropping. Do they need, you know, if they're not nursing anymore, they might rebound faster. Um, all of these, these shifts, right? That's also something that tells you and most women that I see postpartum tend to tell like when they bring up painful sex, they just assume it's Oh, well, my, I think my OB told me that because I'm nursing, it's supposed to hurt a little bit. 
Um, oh, but they okay. don't recognize that there could be pelvic floor dysfunction also. Mm, okay. So, or they stop nursing and now they're like, oh, it didn't get better. I thought it was supposed to get better after I stopped nursing, but it still mm. hurts. Okay. Um, what do I do now? And so, you know, I try to make it very comfortable with for my patients. I mean, I'm literally like, so how's sex? Yeah. <laughs> so like, let's talk about it. Let's just get yeah. to it. How, yeah. uh, you're here for sex. Let's talk about it. Does it hurt when he enters? Does it hurt when he pushes? When yeah. he thrusts? Does it hurt with with digital penetration? Does he use the fingers? Are you are you lubricated? Are you not lubricated? Um, there's no shame in using lube. I'm always telling patients like try the slippery stuff lube or try yeah. you know um, an aloe aloe groove or the desert right. harvest one has a little bit of lidocaine in it. A lot of patients love that. And oh, I didn't know, know that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so there's there's all the Go Love CBD lube. So there's a ton of lubes out there, okay. and um, I think slippery stuff is a great lube. Some of patients need dilator therapy, so I have Ooh. all these dilators in my office, and I show them. And you know, most of them usually have one single partner, but if they have multiple partners, um, like my younger patients or my patients who are not in serious relationships, we talk about dilators, where I think they need to start, what size. You know, some of these entrance muscles need to be stretched out. Some people don't have sex for like a, a year after having a baby. And so now they're oh, like, wow. oh, this is so embarrassing, but I didn't have sex for like nine months. And so now I want to have sex and it, it it's hurting. And oh, wow. I mean, do you, do you feel like it's harder if you wait that long? Like, obviously you don't want to have it like too soon, but if you don't address the issue and you have an issue and then like, does it just get worse and worse over time if the issue is like chronic tightness or something or not necessarily? Well, if you don't know, you're like... You, you had no idea that it was going to get worse, right? So right, you're right. just like, I just, you know, after I'll be honest, after my second one, or after my first one, I was so traumatized by having the baby that I was like, this is what the mother was <laughs> like. I don't think we had yeah. intercourse. We had intercourse like maybe a handful of times. And then I got pregnant on my, on my anniversary. And I remember thinking, I'm never having sex again because I keep getting pregnant. <laughs> so I was like, this yeah. is not the whole point of having yeah. intercourse. Um, right. So right. you just, you know, you don't can't say that, oh, this was going to happen. I mean, I think dilators are great to have. I think they're okay. a wonderful tool for every woman to have. Um, oh, really? Okay. I think like any, any, like, I have so many 18, 19, 20, 20, you know, young girls who literally don't know anything about intercourse, get what they right. get from health, like, you know, in sixth grade. And then they hear their friends, there's this expectation that love is going to be magical and spectacular. And there's going to be candles there. And you're like, okay, um, he can't get in. So now what? And so, you know, if it hurts and when you're in a relationship, hopefully that's solid. Most women are like, I'm not doing this. So, (laughs) you know, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to keep doing this. And then they don't know where to turn. And then months turn, weeks turn into months. And then all of a sudden you've now, been like nine months later and you haven't had intercourse and now mm-hmm. it hurts. Yeah. It's not really anyone's fault. I mean, it's right. right. It's life. You know? Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I just think back to the, after I had my first kid and I still remember thinking, I'm like, I'm never having sex again. Like, like literally in the hospital, you know, cause I was like in so much pain. I oh, was yeah. like, um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that was not worth it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like, obviously, like way too premature. Like, I'm literally like a day out from having my first kid. So like, not the best, um, no, not, not no. the best mindset to have. But what exactly do dilators do? And what are they for um, anyone so, who isn't that familiar with them? Dilators help stretch out the superficial like entrance muscles. So okay. there's your, you know, your your superficial entrance one, and you want to stretch them out. Um, and that's why I think they're great because like, if you know, if you have a partner in size in mind, you can work on his size and work maybe the size below or two sizes below. If you are even struggling more with that, some people work from like dilator, like sizes so big as a, a pinky. They're really small. Oh, wow. And then okay. they get wider and wider and bigger and bigger. And the intimate rose brand is really nice. I like theirs. Um, they also have sole source brands. I like the silicone dilators. They're much softer they're easier the plastic ones tend to be a little bit more hard and aggressive they are cheaper but that being said I think this is a place you can spend a little bit more money um like I said if you know your partner you don't have to get all the small and the large you can just get right. the size around them um if you don't I always tell the young girls the sky's the limit you go from the beginning to all the way to the end you never right. know what you're gonna get 
Um, and so they help stretch that out, but that's not going to help with thrusting. So if these back okay. muscles are, are in pain, like that's the dilators are not really doing that. That's just helping with okay. the vaginal canal. That's all the muscles of the vaginal canal and the superficial entrance ones. Um, the back muscles are the ones that are really like that bowl and um, that's like surrounding your rectum and all of your organs and everything. And so okay. when you're, when you're hitting a lot of people are like I'm hitting a wall, it's oh. hitting your pelvic floor muscles. Oh, and so, interesting. I didn't realize um, that. I didn't realize the muscles that were back in the back. Yeah. I, yeah so that's interesting. So they're like the bowl. So like, you're like there. Okay. Um, so it's like a bowl inside of you basically. And it's like you're yeah. part of your pelvic floor and that's part of your rectum as well. So it's all well, in that area. Your, your rectum's going through it, right? So okay. when you're having sex, you're hitting the organs from your vaginal canal and your rectum's in the back. And so sometimes oh. people are like, Ooh, I feel it. And your muscles are there. So it depends Ooh. on some, some people are like, Ooh, I feel it in my stomach. Like he's hitting my stomach, like he's hitting my gut. Um, but you know, it depends on like the positions that people okay. are doing and the angles that you're going in. Okay. Um, like one of my patients, I remember she was like, I don't have pain in any position except when I have my knees like this and this and this. And I was like, well, then you have to work on therapy, like your wand in that yeah. position, because oh, interesting. Not, okay. not everyone is trying all sorts of positions. So sometimes right. it's a little bit easier than others. So some, some patients are like, I can have sex in this one position. And I'm like, mm. well, that's, you should work on the rest of the pelvic <laughs> yeah. floor muscles. So there's wands. They look like okay. little snakes and you can go inside your vagina and massage out those muscles. Oh, interesting. I've never heard of those. So those help with the muscles that are in the back. So if you're experiencing pain yeah. with the thrusting, then it would help massage out the ones in the back. And you can do those yeah. at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can use the wand at home. So I always say homework is for home. Don't mm -hmm. take your homework to PT because you're wasting that session that you should be getting a manual yes. workout and like the therapy and the exercises right. and the breathing and all that stuff. Um, mm. Do your homework at home. And, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't know how am I going to learn how to do this? It's so intimidating. Think about <laughs> yeah. the rest of the world. The rest right. of the world does not have pelvic therapy and everyone is use finding these tools online on Amazon. There's Amazon everywhere. And oh. they're doing their therapy and there's YouTube videos. I mean, there's literally a YouTube video. Oh, really? Everything. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, that's learn. good to know. Yeah. Because I know some people who have reached out about like public floor stuff. One reason why they haven't gone to public floor PT is that they're in a rural area and so they can't, they don't really have that access. So I have no idea that there's, you can actually look up on YouTube and then just order the stuff yourself and then kind of get um, a similar oh, experience for that. So many patients, like so many, wow. I, mean, I get so many messages on Instagram. I'm in here. I'm in this country. I'm in that country. What do I do? And I'm like, if you have access to these tools, try these okay. tools, go on. They usually the tools come with like a little library on YouTube and you can right. access the videos. Um, don't be aggressive. Don't hurt yourself. Right, um, right. The old, like the olden days, like five years ago, there was wands that were made out of acrylic and those wands were the only options. And then right. this intimate rose brand came out and now it's like a silicone wand. It's much softer, oh, nice. gentler. The acrylic ones, like patients would hurt themselves. And I would have males who can only access through the anus. Oh, they wow. don't have any other holes and they would hurt themselves. And so, you know, men tend to be a little bit more aggressive when it comes to things. And, you know, you'd have to be, you'd have to give this like huge disclaimer, don't hurt yourself. Don't make this worse. <laughs> so they, but you know, as long as you're not pressing harder than you would press a tomato without bruising it is what I believe oh. the therapist who created it says. Just okay. Super gentle. Yeah. Um, so you're not making things worse. And, you know, I think like a little bit of guidance is always goes a long way. You can do virtual visits with pelvic therapists. So like if you find, Hey, I, I found a therapist, but I don't have access. I'm in rural America. Right. I have the tool now, but I don't know what to do. They'll talk you through it and, mm. um, and they can help you do what you need to do. And, you know, Usually a lot of times, like we were doing telehealth during COVID, a lot of patients, we were able to figure out whether they were tight or loose, but based on our conversation. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. it doesn't, you don't have to just assume you're loose and like, I don't need this. You can just have a conversation, you know, over telehealth. I mean, exams are great, but if you've been doing this long enough, 
you should be able to pick up on some of the clues. Like pain typically does not, you know, come as a loosey goosey person. Yes. Yes. No, for sure. Yes. So what is the typical public floor physical therapy appointment look like? Like, I mean, I know I've been, you've been, but for someone listening, who's nervous, because that's one question I get asked a lot. They're like, what are they going to do? I think that's like probably. The so I tell all my is patients, like, <laughs> like, this is so weird, but I'm just going to tell you this right now. They're going to examine you from externally Um, And they're going to examine you internally, whether you want rectally, if you prefer rectal or vaginal, Um, you know, it seems like a very strange thing. And if you really don't want an internal examination on your first visit, because you're like, I just want to meet the person, make sure they're not like crazy and they're not doing something weird. Um, Majority of pelvic physical therapists are female because of, um, you know, the because of reality and majority of people want a female pelvic therapist. And so I don't know if you know this, but pelvic therapists learn how to do what they do on each other. No. So you have to be willing to like give up your body to science (laughs) for another colleague to do it on you. And so most male, most male pelvic therapists are not, most male therapists are not signing up to do pelvic therapy. (laughs) <laughs> right um, exactly but so that's yeah, what makes it a little bit hard one. yeah it, it's hard for females to learn how to treat males right away because uh, they don't have any practice right. on people so they tend to wait they tend to they take the course on the males and right. then they start seeing them one at a time and then that's how they boost their confidence in it okay. um, so you know I usually like to set up my patients based on their age where they live right um their personality types, whether they like people who are funny, whether they're super sensitive. Like I'm not going to set someone up. Like it's almost like dating. Like I want to make sure you get along. (laughs) I want to make sure that you're not going to hate the person um, because you want to be able to like kind of have this rapport with someone that when you're in therapy, you don't even realize they're doing anything to you. You're literally just sitting there And after like a session or two, you can just like have them work on you. They'll massage out your belly. They'll teach you the I love you massage. And then they'll be like, what are you doing this weekend? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm taking my kid there. And then I'm taking my kid there. And they're, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh my God, did you watch that TV show? It's all like happening. And they have their finger in your butt and you have like no idea. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I was actually surprised about that too, because I thought it was going to be like super awkward. But then when I went, there every single one that I have seen actually has made it not awkward at all like I was like so nervous about it and as you said that they've done it so many times that they're just so good about not making it awkward and like I never once felt violated ever I was just like they're literally helping me and they felt like a friend and just the same thing as, as you said like after a few sessions and you're like oh yeah, this weekend we're gonna go do this oh my kids are doing soccer or whatever like it is the same kind of thing yeah. so I I just say that just, you know, just if anyone's listening, just, you know, there's a reason why that they're professionals, right? They do this full time for a living and they know how to make you feel at ease. And so I I probably, I don't even know how many, like maybe seven I've been to and they're all make you feel at ease. So the only time I ever have anyone complain about it is if they're like, a super young person going to a super old person and they feel like they're being judged, you know, so I tend to like try to like, you know, stick with people that are like in similar age groups. And I mean, you know, and that's doesn't, and then that's just a generalization. I don't know if like most older and younger people don't get along, but you know, it's just like sometimes younger patients tend to talk younger. And so older patients don't understand the lingo. And then, you know, you definitely, I definitely try to, be aware of that and so Mm. if I'm like oh I don't think this lady is gonna you know or (laughs) right you know I don't know like you know you know and with like lesbian patients or um you know asexual patients like you don't want it I want to pre-warn my page uh, the physical therapist also like maybe don't talk about this or if someone's undergoing a lot of infertility issues I don't want to you know I don't want to send them to someone who's like currently pregnant and, you know, yeah. I want to, like, be cognizant of, like, all of that so that they're... Right, right. Or ask them if you have the baby or something. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. So yeah, no, for sure. All, 
very planned out. I mean, I like to make it planned out, but I know like depending on where you live, your the state you're in, you may not have that luxury of being like, oh, you might have one pelvic therapist in your like two hour vicinity. And so it, it makes it difficult then. Right, right, exactly. Well, yeah, I think that's one of the so whenever I've talked to my friends or other people about it, I think those are the the first barrier is just the stigma. And then actually, like, I think they kind of have to come to terms. I think there's this big psychological component where they have to accept that they are actually having these issues, or they're having pain with sex, and to not dismiss it. And it's hard when you might have a doctor or family or friends who are dismissing it because that's what the majority of everyone does, right? It's like you ask your female relative like, oh yeah, that's what I had. Oh yeah, that's what I had. And so you're you're fighting. It's yeah. an uphill battle that you're hearing everyone else tell you that your problem is normal and they don't need help. Um, and then there's like some crazy person like me or like you saying like, no, you, you have a problem. Like you have to go to PT. It's hard to break yeah. that barrier, yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like, no, I you know? That. I yeah. had a patient this week and she was like, she was 52 and her friend, her sister was like, yeah, but how many more years are you having sex? And I was like, <laughs> uh, hopefully like at least another 20. I mean, like it was so like, she was like, yeah, I don't understand. Like, why is she like trying to write me off as old? And I was like, yeah, you're like, you know, almost an empty nester now. Like this is when you should be like, yeah, I can have sex all the time without my kids being around. <laughs> so right, right. And, you know, and like, then a lot of people are like, well, it hurts postmenopausal. So I guess it's normal. And, you know, that's another <laughs> right. whole stigma. Like, oh, like breast cancer patients who had re radiation shouldn't, should just be grateful mm. they're alive and like no more mm. sex or like, you know, oh, well, you're okay. Like, you know, you're, you're just postmenopausal now. No right. more sex, no big deal. And so I, we treat all of that. So we, right. don't, we don't, we want people to be able to like enjoy their lives, whether you've had cancer or a child or any yes. of the above. Yes. Yes. No, I think that that's, that's so, so amazing. So yeah, I, I guess my point was just like, it's so hard when, at least for me, cause I'm just such a big advocate for pelvic floor PT and taking care of your pelvic floor. It's such an uphill battle because you have these external narratives. There's as you were saying, like, oh, so let me also tell you that thing, you know, so it should be, there's, fine. there's also more to it than pelvic therapy. So if you're in pelvic therapy and you feel like you've plateaued, there's mm -hmm. more, there's so mm -hmm. much more. Oh, okay. there's medications to use vaginally. There's mm -hmm. trigger point injections to your pelvic floor, like acupuncture for your pelvic floor. Almost. It sounds oh, like wow. that. But it, um, and these, these other treatments can really help, move you past any humps that you have like you know the tools are great the pt is great but if you're like i did the pt i did six weeks and i'm not better there's more so don't think that's right. the end of it okay and then what about the psychological aspect too do you ever refer out to like um, sex therapy yeah Love sex it. therapy that's what i was going to say just because i'm sure that there's like this whole mental component that comes along with all of it right yeah so i mean you have had pain with sex and so now you're like, uh, I'm not going to have sex because it's going to hurt. So like, <laughs> right. uh, now you can get dilator eight in, which is like this big. Right. So technically my brain knows I can get it in, but my brain also <laughs> is terrified of having it actually go in now. <laughs> right. And so a lot of times I'll treat patients, we'll get their pelvic floor so good. Everything's great. They're in the, ready for dilator eight. And they're like, I don't want to have sex now. My sex drive mm. is so low or I... I'm still like not ready to have sex. And I, you know, that's when they go to sex therapy because okay. that's something that's like super psychosocial. Right. They need to work through the fact that they are better, but they are not like their body and their brain have not caught up with each other. Yes. And so they need to like reconnect and be on the same page. And then, you know, once they can have sex and they can be confident, like, Oh, that was pretty good. I did it. Um, then they develop this confidence. And so sometimes there is, you know, let's start with foreplay or let's have you start doing exercises or little challenges with your partner. Let's have your partner use a dilator on you. And, and all of that comes with a good uh, sex therapist or even cognitive behavioral therapist. 
Right. Okay. So that's good to know too. Cause I mean, for anyone listening, maybe they have gone through all of the treatment that you're saying, but then they're still struggling with, you know, either pain after having kids or even just the psychological aspect, or maybe everything's right. But I, I know that so many women, they lose their sex drive after having kids. And so that might be Another a lot of that's of like well. also body image, right? So, oh, yes. my, my little shelf doesn't look so great anymore. Or, right. oh, these jeans don't fit. Um, oh, majority of the time, partners are just looking to get it. <laughs> <laughs> they are yes. not. But I think we are, we, we are really hard on ourselves. And right. we are, unfortunately, it's, I think every woman like deals with this and mm-hmm. body image and the postpartum, you know, pressure we put on ourselves to kind of right. get back our bodies, um, you know, makes you undesirable and makes the whole idea of having intercourse less interesting. And, you know, and that's where like different things come into play, whether you like, you you know certain tv shows or different movies to watch and you need help with suggestive music or books or you know a lot of that is where sex therapy can definitely come in and help Mm, yes no that's that's really important to keep in mind too so it's comprehensive approach to the problem and not just like treating one aspect of it too so that's that's really good to know well Gosh, I've learned so much. I, is every single time I think, oh, I've learned as much about the pelvic floor that I possibly can. I feel like I just learn more and more. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking about um, all of this, and you know, especially the the painful sex after childbirth. You know, I think it's um, it happens. I think to like the majority of women. You know, I, I feel like at least every woman has had at least one painful sex experience after having kids. So it's really important to yeah. talk about and address. Yeah. So. Um, I'd love to ask you or end on a personal um, question that I always ask all of my guests. And I usually, um, I apologize, I usually prep the guests a little bit for this question, because sometimes it's kind of like far out of left field. So I apologize if, um, you know, if you haven't had that much time to think about it. But basically, you know, is there any time in your life, like personal life that you felt that it's okay to not be a perfect mom, but okay to be a good one instead? Oh, Yeah. Um, after I had my, well, my first daughter, I was in residency and I did not know what I was doing. Um, so I literally didn't visit her in the nursery because I was in, I was in a a postpartum room and my daughter was in the NICU. Um, but nobody told me I needed to go and see her. So I would bring friends and we'd go down together and be like, look, the baby's here. I had like 32 visitors because I was like super young and 29 and all my friends wanted to, I was the first baby. So she never latched mm. and I had no idea what I was doing. I brought her home because she was in the NICU for like a couple days because it was Christmas week. And then I brought her mm. home. She didn't latch. My mom was like, make her latch, make her latch. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I gave up after four days and I pumped for three months. So when I had my second one, I was like, nobody's coming to the hospital. I'm going to just hang out, watch Breaking Bad on TV. And my daughter is going to be, and she didn't, she came to my room and she hung out with me and we, we nursed and I nursed for a year, but, but she fell off the growth curve Mm. and she was, she, I mean, I'm like a skinny mini and my daughters are skinnier minier. So they're really Mm. tiny. She was below 0%. My pediatrician told me that she was failure to thrive. Oh, no. And I insisted on nursing because I had so much mom guilt. And I told myself if I ever had a third, I would never do that to myself again. But there's something about that mom guilt that makes you absolutely insane. Um, You just don't even like think anymore. And so now when I think about things with my kids, I'm like, you just need to be happy. Like, yes. <laughs> once that, once all those hormones got out of me, I was like, "We just need to be happy." You yes. To, you want to eat at seven o'clock? Great. You want to eat at five o'clock? Great. You, whatever you guys want to do. You want to have fruit for lunch? I don't care. What? Like <laughs> as long as everyone's happy, um, yeah. because at the end of the day, we as parents have so much anxiety, and our kids see that, and so um, that's like super important that I don't want to put too much pressure on my kids and Mm. have that stress and all that pressure we put on ourselves. So I just want them to be happy. 
Yes. Yeah. I love that so much. And that's, that's a good, that's a good point that you make. Cause I never thought about that. We put so much pressure on ourselves to make everything perfect. And then that, that your children can sense that. And that's not necessarily mm-hmm. the best environment to have. So I love that so much. So you're going to see, and it's kind of crazy. Like all of a sudden, like you'll see like your kid doing these random motor ticks and you're like, Oh, that's a sign of anxiety. Oh, no. How do you have, how did I give you anxiety already? Oh, no. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I'm not looking but forward any... to that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation so, so much. And I know all of our listeners will as well. So, I mean, public floor um, physical health is just right at the top there in terms of priority for topics on the show. So again, I really appreciate it so, so much. Oh, and where can everyone find you on social media? Sorry, before I sign off, what's your Instagram? I'm at Dr. T-A-Y Ahmed, A-H-M-E-D at, on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, although I'm not super, super active. Um, And I'm at pelvicrehabilitationmedicine.com. I'm currently working in the Long Island office and the Manhattan office. So if anybody wants to come and see me, they are more than welcome. Um, We do some virtual visits. If you do, just reach out to me. Um, I'm happy to always respond to my DMs. I love when people Great. Well, thank you so much again.